Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Jennifer Button from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today we'll be speaking with Eddie Hopkins, Director of Emergency Services for Harford County, and Rick Ayers, Deputy Manager of Emergency Services for Harford County. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Jennifer. How you doing? I'm great. How are you today? Uh, very good. Very good. Um, I, uh, we have a few courtesy uh, items this morning. Wonderful. Uh, things, things that annoy us, even though we acknowledge that we're not perfect. Um, the first thing is, it's not just annoying, it's criminal. Um, we have, we all get calls, and we try to talk these up as much as possible. We all get calls, oh, would you like to contribute to the Kids Wish Network, the Committee for Mif Missing Children, the Police Protective Fund, uh, the Disabled Police Officers of America. Um, don't give to people who call on the phone. There's even uh, an outfit that calls, I said, they're the Deputy uh, Sheriff Sergeants Association or something. It's a strip mall down in Middle River, and it, the call comes from New Jersey. Um, and the marketing firm gets paid 80 to 95% of every dollar collected. Um, so we're going to read off a few more um, uh, of, and their numbers. The Reserve Police Officers Association collected $7.8 million last year. 1.2% of it went to um, some end cause. I think they bought a few Scott Packs for some uh, county um, law enforcement. Um, firefighters Charitable Foundation. How could you say no to that? 2.2% um, of their $63 million in the past 10 years that they've raised has gone to the ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, United States Deputy Sheriff's Association. 25.6 million, 0.8%. This is billions of dollars that people are getting. Call, Police Protective Fund. Who wouldn't... Who, that one... 0.7% of their 37 million that they've collected over the past 10 years. 0.7%. So, there's a special place in hell for the, as far as I'm concerned, for these people that, um, it's out now theft. So, everyone you know, please tell them, give locally, give to a charity you know, don't do it over the phone, um, because if it is a real charity and a good one, they have other ways of getting to you and asking uh, for your money. Um, so that's really annoying. And uh, the other one, the one other thing I want to talk about, um, these tire places or battery places, I won't mention any names. You know, going out, I had, I had a tire, I, I had a slow leak in it. Um, I was, and I saw where it was, I was going to patch it, but it was a little close to the sidewall, so... Um, I went in, I won't say the name, and I have a Buick Lucerne, a 2007 Buick Lucerne. It's not exactly a, you know, uh, a, you know, a Lotus. Uh, and I said to the guy, he said, I can't patch it too close to the sidewalk. I said, fine. Um, he said, the good news is we have your tire. The bad news is it's $265. I said, what do you mean? I, I have a Buick. <laughs> and he said... That's the tire your car needs. I said, 
there's like, there's probably 10. Do you have others? And stuff? yeah. I said, can I see? And he actually showed me the screen. He had eight, and they started at $79 and went up to 265 And he had them all in stock. But he said the bad news is going to come. Now, how many people walk in there every day? And, and that's before they, you know, so just ask questions. Don't let them, um, um, you know, they get in a weak position where you, you're in a hurry or they have a knowledge advantage over you. And it's um, just be careful and don't always trust right away. Um, and that, that's that. We were sufficiently annoyed by those two things. And now you're going to annoy me with some trivia. <laughs> that is, that is my joy on I'll, Fridays. I'll yes. annoy you with some answers. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start completely random. What was the original flavor of the filling in Twinkies? Chocolate. No. Anybody else? Nope. Strawberry. Banana cream. That was maybe guessable. Is that like is that like a popular thing and I just missed that era? I mean I think it was back in the day. Was it? Yeah. Wow. I know I like I love how the uh, police officer in uh Die Hard uh <laughs> knows all the ingredients of Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> Reginald Bill Jackson, right? <laughs> um Okay. Which <clears throat> tennis player has won the most men's Grand Slam titles? Ooh. Um, I think it was Sampras, and now it's Federer. It is Federer. Okay. He just, I think he just passed that. Mm -hmm. Um, in the children's books about a 25-foot-tall red dog, what is the name of the dog? I know that because I was, remember reading it to my daughter, who's now 23. Um, Clifford. Yes. Did you, did you guys know that? Yep. Mm -hmm. oh. He's been around forever. That yes. Uh, what does karaoke mean in Japanese? <laughs> Sorry, that's that's one of the ones I like to throw at Bob. And I feel like you would know that. I have heard it. I don't. Remember. Yeah, I've heard it too. It means uh, relax here. It means empty orchestra. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. But now that we know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. What is the fastest bird in the world when in its hunting dive? Oh. Wouldn't be something like the swift, would it? No. <laughs> no, but I think it's a book and maybe a film as well. Oh, a seagull. No. Uh, it's a type of falcon. Oh. It is the peregrine falcon. Peregrine falcon, falcon. yeah. Yes. Peregrine falcon. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is a tough week. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> what are the five boroughs of New York City? Well, that's easy for me. Go ahead, guys. Manhattan, Manhattan, Bronx, Queens, Long Island. No. Nope. Long Island's not a borough. Another island, though. Staten. Mm-hmm. And. Did you say Queens? Uh, yeah. Um. Forget about it. Oh, man. I'm going to New York on Monday. Can I come back on your show next week and tell you? <laughs> Jackie, uh, Ralph Cramden lived there. Oh. Saturday Night Fever was there. There's a famous bridge built in by what, Roebling. Oh. 
Used to be its own city. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the TV show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, should have known that. It's funny. I, I, I ask people a trivia question all the time, and most of them don't get it, or it takes them a really long time. And it's, you know, and name the only state that ends in letter K. Stop and think about that one. The thing is, everyone stops and thinks about it. It's New York. New York, yeah. People from New York, anywhere, they don't get it. They just think on it and think on it because for some reason. <laughs> okay, come on, give us a good one. All right. Not implying the others weren't good. <laughs> uh, Roquefort is a French blue cheese made from the milk of what animal? The goat. No. The hue. The you. No. Well, the sheep. Yes, the sheep. Sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, how so do you say How do you say Barry in French? Barry. <laughs> 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 All right. So just a couple more. This one I threw in before um, the news blew up. So forgive me for that. What was the name of Robert E. Lee's most famous horse? I know that thought you would and now it's skipping my mind um what does it begin with t t t t t second letter r oh i can't believe this blank traveler yes 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 okay yes and we also we were going to do it in the news without commentary <laughs> but espn reassigned a yes. reporter mm -hmm. the other day a Korean-American gentleman um, from the Virginia, um, University of Virginia football game, because his name is Robert Lee. So we did a news item in the middle of trivia. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. All right, last one. Which actor that once played James Bond previously competed in the Mr. Universe bodybuilding competition? Uh, when that wasn't uh, that George Lazarus, the first one. It was not George Lazarus. Ah, uh, see, I, I, I know, I, I don't know the new ones. Um, it, you had, um, you had um, Sean Connery, Sean Roger Connery. Moore, Timothy Daly, uh, Craig, um, um, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, Pierce Brosnan. Yes, Pierce Brosnan. Um, I'm going to say Daniel Craig. It was not Daniel Craig. Rick, do you have a guess? I'll go back to Pierce Brosnan. Oh, well, yeah, I know who it was. Okay, who was it? Sean Connery. It was Sean Connery. Uh, would not have... Although our listeners cannot hear, I brought you a photograph because I was shocked. I had no idea that Sean Connery was wow. in Mr. Universe. I wow. would have never guessed it. And I wouldn't have recognized him from the photo. <laughs> Feel free to continue doing the show in a Sean Connery voice, by the way. Uh, no, I will not subject our listeners to that. <laughs> He was great in uh, The Untouchables, though. Oh, he was very good in that. Loved that. Mm -hmm. What did he say? Is put, they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue, morgue. Yeah. the Chicago way. Yeah. <laughs> you bring a knife to a gun, you don't bring a knife yeah. to a gunfight. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was great as the captain, uh, Ramius, in Hunt for Red October. But... He was great in everything. Oh, okay. I'm a Sean Connery fan. Yeah, I don't He's great I in everything. Think of anything he was bad in. Mm -mm. Okay. That's all I got for you today, That's all Bob. you got? Okay. Yeah. Um, we're going to, you know what we're going to do? Let us, um, 
let's go to the break. Uh, we'll do one one education thing or one. I'm going to give you you folks your own um, trivia question. And since you're both emergency service um, folks, you should know this. Um, didn't want to set you up. Why is a manhole cover round? No one gets this. I didn't get it. I don't know the answer, but I feel like you've asked me the question before, so I should probably know the answer. No one gets it, uh, so no. don't feel bad. Are you going to tell us? Mm-hmm. Okay. It'll be part of our discussions in a little while, but go ahead. Okay. Um, so it doesn't fall in. If it was square, it you you could turn it up, and it it, it could be narrower than uh -huh. the diagonally it, it's narrower than the square opening so it'll always fall in and those you don't want those falling huh. out from under you or on, on your head uh, it could even you know so okay no one's ever gotten that and then when you hear it you say oh yeah but I wonder how many square ones they had until <laughs> someone said <laughs> they figured that one out right <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also, I have a bone to pick with our county executive on our, this is sort of our knowledge and trivia and culture thing. Um, he posted an article the other day that said the five most likely snowmageddon days this coming season. Right, saw that. Isn't that a jinx or something? <laughs> Should he be doing that? <laughs> uh yeah. I'm not expecting an answer. It was yeah. a rhetorical question. Yes. I just wanted to have a little fun with Barry. Um, well, it does give us plenty of lead time to be prepared. So. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, indeed. And county employees can take off those days. Submit leave now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that Snowmageddon Day, is, and we want to talk about it, um, is burned in you, your guys' brains. Uh, but um, because we have so much to talk about, uh, let's go to a break now and then get started with the interview and then we can uh, do the news and uh, we'll definitely do library events but let's um, let's cut out for a break now okay um, so we're gonna go to break and when we come back we'll be talking with Ed, Ed Hopkins director of emergency services for Harford County and Rick Ayers deputy manager of emergency services for Harford County Harford County Public Library Foundation 13th Annual Gala, La La Library, an evening in the stacks will be held Saturday, November 4th at 7 p.m. at the Abington Library. The Gala, Harford County Public Library Foundation's signature event, welcomes more than 600 guests each year and features an extensive menu of hors d'oeuvres and drinks, entertainment by mood swings, a live and silent auction. This year's theme, La La Library, focuses on the timeless and classic old Hollywood song and dance days. Sponsorships, which include tickets to the gala, are available starting at just $750. To purchase a sponsorship, contact Nina Depkin at D-E-P-K-I-N-N at hcplonline.org. Proceeds from the event will support a wide range of programs and resources, including new technologies, community outreach, and stream programs an innovative new space, and collections that will offer customers of all ages the opportunity to explore, create, discuss, and learn. For more information about Lala Library, visit eveninginthestacks.org. Help your child build a better world with Harford County Public Library's Summer Reading Challenge. 
Studies show that children who participate in public library summer reading programs score higher on reading achievement tests at the beginning of the new school year. Experience less summer reading loss and begin the new school year with more confidence. The Hartford County Public Library Summer Reading Program, designed from children from birth through high school, will ignite your child's imagination and inspire a lifetime love of reading. Register now at hcplonline.org or any Hartford County Public Library branch. Each registered reader will receive a commemorative tote bag filled with summer reading challenge sponsors information and coupons. Upon completion of the summer reading program, all children will receive a certificate of completion and a special gift plus a ticket voucher for an Aberdeen Ironbirds game on August 24th. For more information and to check out all the special events happening at your library throughout the summer, go to hcplonline.org or pick up a copy of the headlines and happening at any of the library's 13 branches. Help your child build a better world with Harford County Public Library's Summer Reading Challenge. Welcome back. I'm co-host Jennifer Button from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is the Harford Edge. We're delighted to have Ed Hopkins, Director of Emergency Services for Harford County, and Rick Ayers, Deputy Manager, in the studio with us. Welcome, Ed and Rick. Thank you for having us, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, well, we, uh, we really appreciate it. And by the way, from all of us to, to you folks and your whole team, thank you. Thank you every day. Um, because uh, I, I think everybody out there, and I know I'm guilty of it too, you just you always underestimate what is going on, what these people have to go through, what they have to train for, what they have to be ready for, not the least of which lightning strikes. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> thank you, thank you, because especially in these days, um, first responders and emergency folks and the people that move to the front when anything goes wrong, um, we owe them all our lives, so uh, thanks, and thanks to the, your whole team. Thank you, Bob. Um, we'll let you, uh, each of you do, because we don't want to embarrass you, because we do your bios, we're, we're, you know, there's so many great things, so we'll let you tell us who you are, for those who don't know, I don't know how many people don't know, everybody knows Rick, because they've talked to him on the phone. <laughs> Uh, but just give a, who's Eddie Hopkins? Sure. Well, Eddie Hopkins is a lifelong resident of Hartford County. Family dates back a couple hundred years. But I grew up in Bel Air, um, came up in a family of volunteer firefighters and EMS providers. So naturally, my direction in life was to go either into law enforcement or the fire service and um, chose law enforcement. So had a had a, a tremendous, awesome 30-year career with Hartford County Sheriff's Office. But also during that time, uh, had joined and belonged to the Bel Air Volunteer Fire Company, where I have 44 years of service with them. Um, and at one time serving as the chief. So you um, started when you were six years old, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Started when I was, actually, you're not too far off the mark because my dad was a volunteer, so I pretty much came out of the womb and onto the tail step of a fire truck, <laughs> which uh, which has been my story. But uh, after retiring from the sheriff's office, I had a tremendous opportunity to go work for Governor Ehrlich and then later Governor O'Malley in emergency management. And that opened up a door to a second career, which uh, brought me back to Hartford County as uh as, uh, to as back to the sheriff's office for a brief period of time, but then over to the Department of Emergency Services, where uh, we manage uh, all disasters, big and small, hazmat, technical rescue issues, 911, emergency management, and a number of other issues. So, very excited to be on the show this morning. Very excited to be a, a Bel Air, Hartford County guy, and to uh, and to keep my talents here, keep on home turf, helping the citizens out. Um, 
Excellent. And you forgot to mention that you have three sons and they're all slouches. <laughs> I have I have three wonderful sons. I'm extremely proud of them. I have my oldest son is a lieutenant in the Air Force stationed out in Utah. Uh, my middle son just graduated nursing school and my youngest son is a uh, second third year student at College Park. Um, his uh, degree is in engineering, his subspecialty is biomedical engineering, and all three are uh, accomplished young men and they're all three Eagle Scouts. Very very proud of them. Nice. Nice. Well, you're doing something right. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Mr. Ayers. So um, I've kind of followed in similar footsteps as that. Public safety is really all I've ever known pretty much in my working career. I also joined a volunteer fire company when I was 16. Um, and then my first real serious job, I went in the United States Air Force as a firefighter and then had an opportunity in 1984 to get hired by Hartford County when they started 911. I was hired as the first group when they, when before before 1984, you you still had to dial a seven-digit number to get to get help in Hartford County. And then in 1984 is when they started 911, and so I'm on my 33rd year with the county. Um, was able to get promoted to the emergency manager position, which is a governor-appointed position um, for Hartford County um, in 2006. So I've been in that position for 11 years. Um, I also have held the position as a fire chief, EMS chief in the uh, volunteer fire service and was a paramedic for several years, both career and, and uh, volunteer. And um, I have five kids, and I'm proud of proud of my kids too. Some of them have followed my footsteps in public safety. My stepson's a police officer in the town of Bel Air. Um, I have a daughter that works for the sheriff's office, and my son uh, was in the army, and his um, him and his wife were stationed in Seattle, Washington. So um, anyway, I just public safety is all I've ever known, and um, so. Um, Glad to try to help um, answer any questions you might have for some of our listeners today. Well, it's funny hearing your voice. I was just mentioning off the air that uh, as soon as you started, when, I, when you first showed up this morning, as soon as you started talking, <laughs> I had this Pavlovian need to go check to make sure my umbrella and my deck was down because <laughs> I, I figured something was coming. <laughs> uh, tell us first about this, the, the structure of emergency services and how it encompasses so many things how do you break it down um and um what are the different disciplines and um sure well up until um three maybe four years ago uh the department of emergency services was a division under the director of administration for county government but leadership at the time saw a need to make a department because with homeland security public safety and the looming need of of reoccurring disasters and critical events you really needed a separate department uh, managed by a director so they did create the department and under the department um, they have assigned uh, the entire 911 public safety dispatch operation emergency management falls under our domain as well as our hazmat team and our technical rescue team. We have a group that works in telecommunications, which handles all of our radio traffic, uh, cell towers, and radio towers. And then most recently, uh, the um, the newly created uh, system uh, for us to design a career-based EMS system, which County Executive Glassman has brought forth, will also fall under our domain as well. So with those six branches, we have approximately 120 employees in a 66,000-square-foot building located in Hickory, uh, which, interestingly enough, most people don't look at it this way, is geographically located in the center of the county. Um, 
so it was recent, and the new building was recently built with all the brand new technology that's that's readily available for us to serve the citizens. So on a day-to-day basis, we serve those six disciplines, and also one key component, Bob, that a lot of people don't think about. We are, we liaise with the Volunteer Fire and EMS Association. There's um, hundreds of volunteer firefighters and EMS providers in the county, and their voice to the county executive um, is working with us at DES. So we liaise on with them. Um, on a daily basis to make sure that their needs are, are met in terms of response to calls, uh, helping with recruitment, fire prevention issues, budgeting, and so forth. And, and uh, on that note, with thanks uh, to the EMS um, uh, career and volunteer and to the fire companies, uh, and thanks to you folks in the administration, because I'm sure this is not easy, this restructuring of the EMS um, um, routine in the county, and I know it's hard, and I know it's there's a lot of change for a lot of different folks, and um, you know it had real potential to to be difficult, and I'm sure it is. But thank you for both sides are working through it. I'm sure it's not easy for a lot of folks. And and, and to that point, I, you're absolutely right. It, it isn't easy because you have some uh, very dedicated volunteer fire and EMS providers. They've been doing this for well over 100 years for many companies. And the system is not failing. But if you look at the projected numbers, as Hartford County grows, and certainly we are all about bringing people into the county, business into the county, the volume of calls that is placed on any one volunteer organization is quite phenomenal. It's quite large, and it's not fully realized. And the type of calls that you're running nowadays are much more complex than they ever used to be. And the resiliency of the people that are requesting calls for service, the resiliency is a little different than what it was, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So I think the volume of calls is what is really, unfortunately, is is what will happen. And frankly, I think if you look across uh, any any volunteer spectrum, any any group that volunteers in the county is seeing the same demands on their services. So while while it's most prevalent in the fire service because they are in the public news every day, I'm quite, uh, con- quite, um, um, convinced that you'll see other nonprofits in similar situations that their volunteer base may be dropping off somewhat because of the demands placed on that nonprofit as well. But they've done a great job for over 100 years, and the system's not designed necessarily to replace them tomorrow. The system is designed to work with them and successfully design a system that as we go 5, 10, 15 years out, that we continue a high level and caliber of service. Well, thank thank God we have them all, and thank them for their service, and and thanks well, to the administration for leadership on this as well, uh, as um, as we were saying. Um, what else? Uh, National Preparedness Month, Preparedness Month is coming up. Um, talk about that, and uh, talk about um, how folks, uh, what resources there are for folks uh, to, to understand some basically simple things that could well, avert a lot of problems. When I, when I became the emergency manager several years ago, one of the things that I felt um, was very important was communication and how we would be able to communicate with our citizens in a quick manner. Before, before I became uh, the emergency manager, you know, we, we had a system of sirens in the county and people were supposed to know if they heard a warning siren uh, in a certain audible tone that they would then tune to the radio station and they were expected to know what radio station to turn to and then they would get emergency messages. 
Well, the, the system I set up where I can reach out to the citizens and call them and let them know what's happening in Hartford County, I think is one of the most critical things we can do for our citizens in the county because let's, let's be honest, in the world we live in today, we don't know what the ne next disaster or major emergency is going to be and people potentially couldn't be prepared for every possible thing that might come down the pike. So I think one of the biggest things that I would like our citizens to, to take away from our conversation is, are you in our emergency notification system? Do you get the messages? Because right now the only thing that's automatically loaded in our system is people that have a home phone number registered in the phone book. If, so what do if, I do if I'm uh, if I'm not currently getting those messages? So if you want your with... cell phone numbers in there um, and that sort of thing, you, the easy way really is if you want to just call our main office number, which is the 410-638-4900-4900 number, and just tell somebody that answers the phone that you'd like some help getting into our system, and we can load your whole family in the system if you have bunch of kids that have cell phones and you want them all loaded we can get them in the system and then that way during a, a disaster you know we will have the the best information that we can give to our citizens and kind of give instructions on what we would expect them to do at that point I have a bone to pick with people out there that complain if there's several calls like just folks just imagine you're Eddie or Rick, and you know, do we make call? Do we make call? Let's not. And then it happens. Whatever you were. I mean, it's so much easier to make the call. I mean, so a few people are going to get annoyed. So I'm, I'm not going to give people information that could save their lives. Well, Bob, one of the things that Rick and I, and and when we run our shop we do get these calls we take these calls seriously from the citizens because they are concerning to them and many citizens do have the option to opt out but the the issue for us has become in one sense one of complacency that if people aren't following the news or if they don't believe your weatherman um they don't necessarily believe that we're going to have the impact that of the storm that may occur case in point people may believe that the media is hyping the storm to draw up the ratings so my, our Rick's in my position is certainly we want to respect the citizens if they don't want to call. But in my mind, if Rick Ayers is calling you, letting you know, then we believe, as a subject matter expert in this area, we believe the emergency is grave enough that you should know about it. And, and, and admittedly, we will tell you, yes, we've dialed back on a few of our calls because we do recognize that some of the information we put out is readily available on a, multi, on a multiplicity of apps on your phone. But I still hold to the, to the, to the ad, axiom that if Rick Ayers is calling you, you need to be paying attention to what we're saying so that you are properly notified so that you can plan accordingly. Amen. I mean, the media, may, even if they are hyping it, sure. it has nothing yeah. to do with Absolutely. Re, the reality Absolutely. of what, you, what you're facing. Yeah. Like One, they say, um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Right. <laughs> and why, and I understand the fact that some people feel like, you know, I'm on top of the weather and I know what's going on with the weather, but let's imagine that we had a, a release from the, nuclear power plant at Peach Bottom and, and the 10 mile area around Peach Bottom is what we're concerned about and that comes eight miles into Hartford County and we need to tell people to you know evacuate from that 10 mile area immediately and and if they've been contaminated um, 
per se, there's already been a release. They need to be able to have instructions. Most people would be in a panic mode and we would tell people that they need to go to one or two reception centers either at the college or at Faustin High School. You know, I, as much as we maybe want to get that word out ahead of time, we've got thousands of people that live in Hartford County in that area, the 10 mile emergency planning zone that, you know, if they'd never received that information before, they would need to know quickly what to do. And um, so that's just an example. And another funny story was when we had the uh, remnants of the earthquake a few years ago, our 911 center was inundated with 911 calls from citizens who didn't have an emergency. They were just calling 911 asking if we had had an earthquake. And when I put the message out that yes, we had felt the after effects of an earthquake and please don't call 911 unless you have an emergency, the calls dropped right off. So I, I do know that people do listen to the calls. Um, and um, we, like Eddie said, we are try, trying to be cognizant of the fact that we don't want to overuse the system, but I feel like there's times that we definitely need to get the word out. So. And can you imagine how you would hear it if you didn't make one of those calls? Right. And, right. Uh, and uh, well, so. You know, Bob, it, it's an interesting thing, too. We all love Hartford County. We would be living here. It's a beautiful county, but it is a county, and Mother Nature rules all. And we've also found that when, as people move to our county, if they don't truly explore the neighborhood, and, and when I worked at the sheriff's office, they always called the sheriff's office, they wanted new crime stats, they wanted to know the school districts, things that are important to their family everyday needs. But one question that we don't get, we rarely get calls, am I living in a flood-plone area? I live next to Deer Creek, will it flood? What's my route of evacuation if the, if the Susquehanna overflows its banks and I live in the Lapidum Landing area? We don't get those calls. People buy their property for the aesthetic value, and understandably so. It's great to have a home on Susquehanna, Deer Creek, absolutely. But Mother Nature rules. Every time that we as human beings and even computers think that we have Mother Nature under control, she always comes around and kicks us in the butt and reminds us she still got this. So the public doesn't think about that, and that's the kind of things that Rick and I and our staff study 365 days a year, including Christmas, um, because we want to be planned for these events. We want to make sure our citizens have the right education about where they're living and what, what Mother Nature's challenges could impact them in those communities. Well, and, and, and on that, I'm sorry, Rick, Well, I was just point? going to give an example of, uh, you know, we, we've got this major hurricane that's probably going to impact the people in Texas here in the next day or two. And I can, I can almost guarantee you that there's going to be some mandatory evacuation orders given to people on those coastline communities who will not heed the warning to evacuate and then they will end up or expecting the first responders to go in and rescue those people after the storm has hit. And um, the only thing we can do as emergency management people is try to give the best advice we can give and tell the citizens what we think we should have them do um, and then hopefully if they have if they trust us enough over a period of years and they feel like we're giving credible information should we ever need to do those type of things and order a mandatory evacuation I feel like people maybe will react better to to what we're telling them so I just wanted to throw that in sure. that, that, that's an excellent point <clears throat> And on this note about preparedness, um, I want to talk to you guys about what 
there's there seems to be a new normal for emergency services constantly heroin in the ODs the volume of traffic and the speed of traffic on the roads um, a lot denser population so there's a lot more um, probabilities of fire issues and things like that uh, crime um, man-made stuff it's terrorism is a fact of life now and I'm can't imagine how much time you, you all have to put in in studying and training this type of thing but it seems like th th there's a new normal on almost everything and how, how do you stay ahead of that and and how do you um I st staff staffing wise and knowledge wise and training wise well that's a, that's a really great question because what what we try to do it's all about emergency services was never viewed at, or I should say emergency management, that's how we were initially viewed, was never typically involved in other types of law enforcement and fire-related events. In the last four to five years, emergency managers throughout the state have, sort of, have tried to raise our level of visibility um, to be, because it's called consequence management. When something occurs, you have a disaster occurs, emergency management manages the consequence. You have first responders who handle the initial event, but the new handles the follow-up. Part of that, and this is what Rick and I and our staff do all the time, Bob, and revolves around planning and situational awareness and um, networking with, with partners. We spend our entire 365 days a year networking with people throughout the community so that we have complete situational awareness of everything that's going on and we have a level of trust amongst people. And, of course, there's the relevant training that's also necessary as well. Um, historically, you would never have seen emergency management get involved in a law enforcement operation. But... When Sheriff Gaylor has an active assailant or, or a hostage barricade or something, his incident commander historically has been responsible for everything, not only catching the bad guy, which is what you see, but uh, and what is reported on, but there's a whole plethora of things that go on behind the scene, the logistical issues, finding... Um, you know, cold, or rather cooler environments or warm environments, depending on the weather, keeping police officers hydrated with water, finding a place to park all the resources. So when, when you talk about emergency services, we now partner with the sheriff's office to provide those logistical resources. So the incident commander only has to focus on catching the bad guy. If the sheriff needs a light pole, he needs a, a pallet of water, he turns to Rick or I or our staff and we get that for him. Likewise, we have, I, I, Jennifer is sitting next to me here in the studio, you know, we have a partnership with the library system in terms of evacuation and sheltering. So you, who, nobody would ever think about using a library as a shelter, but, but what better place to go? It's cool, there's books to read, there's plenty to do, and if you have to be removed from your home or you leave your home, but this is, all this didn't come about by just, you know, by happenstance. It required people to physically go out, sit down, have a cup of coffee, break bread with someone, and establish a partnership. And then that level of trust builds. And as that level of trust builds, that friendship builds, that partnership builds, and we all work together. You're absolutely right. Training is key. People have to stay ahead of it. But we, Rick and I really, we base a lot on what we're able to do in the community for everyone is on the partnerships we have with everybody. Today, with you in the studio, you and Jennifer, is a partnership. You know, albeit an hour where we spend time with you and your listeners and talk about what we're doing, but it's a partnership. And I would like to think that based on today's interview, something happens, we could always come back and revisit issues with you in the future. Or if we needed to ask you about utilization of your radio station for getting the message out on something, all because we have a trust that will develop through this interview process today. And it'll be rebroadcast tomorrow at yep. 9. Mm -hmm. And it'll be available on the library website as well. Sure. Um, 
those those are great points, Ed. Um, and you know, on the note as far as training, um, ha we it's a bunch of human beings. Yes. And they have to go through a lot that none of us can imagine because we don't go through it ourselves. We, whether it's uh, violence, it's, it's ODs, they're often in the middle of it. We had a, a family member uh, uh, of, of Pat, uh, that horrible day when Pat and Mark got shot. We have people taking calls with people that are panicked. Um, we had what happened with Eric um, uh, that uh, from the Bel Air Fire Company. Um, and um, lightning strikes. <laughs> yep. I mean, your folks are in the middle of all this. How, 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 do, how do you prepare them? Um, I remember Jesse telling me one of the uh, sheriff's deputies how to use force uh, during a, like a, a hostage situation down on Cedar Lane four or five years ago. I remember that. And that changes the police officer's life forever uh, as well. How do you begin to manage this? And uh, first of all, does it take a certain kind of person that is able to compartmentalize? Or talk a little about that. Well, and I'll defer to Rick on some of this, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the training is key for us. We start out with when they start as dispatchers with the dispatch academy, we put them through what all they're going to expect to see. We do ride-alongs with police and fire. We encourage police and fire to come to the dispatch center. Um, and we try to, to bring our dispatchers along by sending them to as much training as we can to learn, you know, what it is they're facing and what they'll, they'll have to encounter. One of the critical things that, that we did was establish a peer support group because you just mentioned two very interesting and, and devastating circumstances. The, the Pat and Mark's killings, both who were friends of mine, I worked with at the sheriff's office. The last person to talk to them was a police dispatcher. And that police dispatcher, to this day, um, constantly reassesses whether or not she did the right thing. And we had peer support work with her and, and talk with her very closely. And she's, she's a veteran dispatcher, and she's done a great job. She did everything she could possibly do that day. But when an incident like that happens, you don't expect it. When Eric Stesiak was killed, same situation. We have a situation that unfolds very rapidly. Um, and the, the dispatchers are the first ones to put the word out to everyone. So our peer support group works with them, um, gives them an opportunity to vent, to talk, to understand, um, to cry. Everyone needs to cry. Whether you're the most testosterone-filled male or not, everyone needs to have the ability to share that emotion. So we do have training. We have a specialized team that does that for us, and they work amongst our peers, and we do that. And we do that for other agencies. Uh, most recently, Cecil County lost one of their dispatchers to cancer, and our staff went up to Cecil County dispatchers to give them you know, an ear, give them a sounding point, a place to vent, and a place to cry. But it all, it revolves around lots of training, lots of peer support, and a clear understanding of the job. And I'll defer to Rick on some of the training our people go through. Well, I, I mean, other than, than training, I, I think, too, I think most people that get in the field of public safety didn't get in it for the money. Um, I think they truly are in that field because they like to help people. And um, I think that's the reason why that so many people in public safety um, just do such a great job under stress and do such a great job when um, most people are running from the emergency and, and the public safety people are running towards it is because they truly do have that background of wanting wanting to help people. And when you have people doing a job that they want to do and that they're not forced to do, 
it's a lot easier to get those people to do the training um, because they're doing something that they truly want to do. Um, and our, I, I, I would like to put a plug out for our dispatch center is we were, we were the first uh, center in the country, in the whole, entire country, to be accredited in the three disciplines in dispatch, which is emergency medical, emergency police, and emergency fire dispatch. Um, and second in the world, there was one center in Canada that beat us to the punch on that. But so we do try to stay above cutting edge. And um, I also went to school and got my certified emergency management program, um, which is not easy to to do. And um, but I'm happy that I have that. And um, so I, I just feel like. Um, the training part's pretty easy in the public safety field because people are doing what they want to do. But not, it can't be minimized. I mean, the focus these folks need, the knowledge they need going into that call, um, the, 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 the calm, because somebody could be just flipping out on the other end or to hear panic in their voice or fear or, well, and they just have to, Stay focused. It's amazing. You do, and and without getting too too graphic on the radio, uh, the, the 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 range of calls range where we have had people cardiac arrest and or die on the phone with our caller. Um, some people have perished in fires while on nine one one, and uh, to if there's a good side of this, the good side is most recently we delivered a baby by telephone, where the baby was delivered, the cord was cut, and they waited for the ambulance to arrive, and it was a very it was a wonderful moment for that dispatcher. But they do suffer those highs and lows, and um, yeah, they go through the range of emotions. But the expectation that they know they have is that they will deal with it and come back the next way, next day, and be prepared to do it all over again. And I I wouldn't be able to handle because everyone out there is a second guesser, and put them in that seat with that with those bullets flying around and the absolute bedlam. Um, it's amazing the job they do. I got to know a lot of the dispatchers and first responders because my best friend was a police officer who died at 911 in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And I ended up going to all the meetings and doing all the legal and financial stuff for my buddy's uh, widow and his three kids. Um, and like the police officers, PAPD lost 37, um, and Marty Duane, sergeant, they had roll call, the emergency services unit, 18 guys, 13 didn't come back from that roll call that morning. Uh, but I talked to a lot of the people in the call routing and dispatching, and, you know, they still haven't recovered in a lot of ways because command and control really... You're never ready for that kind of event, and the communication uh, channels were a little. Uh, it happened so fast, and the, so, there was just so much people get second guessing themselves, and you can't possibly. So I can imagine how hard it is post event um, to deal with. Yeah. with these and that's that's key for us in training because in times of training, or excuse me, in times of stress, you're always going to revert back to your training. And if you train enough, your training becomes reflexive. And I think sometimes the all of us who work in the first responder um, arena, you not, when it's just amazing what takes over, what kicks into gear when you're working with people in a critical situation. And then when you stop and think about it, you do question yourself. But reality is, almost every time you find that you did everything you could possibly do because your body naturally takes over. As reflexive as it is for you to make a note 
while we're talking in this conversation to ask the next follow-up question, our training is equally as reflexive. We just don't think about it until it's all said and done. And we do, Rick and I and our staff, we do, we do after actions or post-incident analysis of, of every large-scale event to identify you know, gaps, vulnerabilities, what do we do right, what do we do wrong, and how we correct it going forward so that we learn. Every event is never going to be perfect, and we learn moving into the next one. What keeps you guys up at night currently? I'm sure it's something different every month, but... Uh... I, think, I think the thing that keeps me up at night is the unknown. I... Like, weather events generally don't bother me too much because we see it coming and we have days to prepare for it. In most cases, a, a spot tornado that comes out of the blue is not something that we always have advance notice of. But the the uh, the threat of terrorism and the dirty bomb uh, scenario and that kind of stuff is is what keeps me up at night. Um, that's 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 my biggest fear. Uh, and I'm there. There. I'm right along with Rick, the, the homeland security threats that are coming down because they they have, there's no known warning on any of them. They happen and they're so devastating. Uh, they really they really can happen anywhere at any time. The civil unrest, the, the way that right now the nation's uneasy, makes us look at every large scale event that Hartford County is planning. Rick and I are looking at it with a keen eye, you know, and we have to think of worst case. That's what bothers me is that civil unrest and that lone wolf scenario where mm. someone is going to impact Hartford County. Weather, weather becomes routine for Rick and I. I, don't, I never want to say anything's routine, but weather is a situation where we, Rick and I can deal with that very effectively because we have, we have the technology that gives us the advance warnings for almost everything. I would, so, I would like to say, too, sure. though, Eddie, um, the, the, I mentioned about the system that we have. Um, <clears throat> the good thing about that system is if we do have a, a spur-of-the-moment thing, we, something we didn't see coming, I'm able to actually use that system from my house. I don't have to get to work before I can use that system. So I can, I can get into the system, prepare a message, get it sent out. Right. So within a matter of minutes, even if it's something that's not advance notice, I still can get word to all of our citizens quickly. And that's the good thing with right. modern technology. Um, I don't have to worry about trying to get into the office before I can do that. I can right. do it from home. So. Well, and when speaking of our citizens, I know I'm not, I'm probably, there's probably a lot of stupid things I would do in an emergency because I am not, have not prepared myself. Mm -hmm. So what could, could we all do? What should we all do? You have this emergency preparedness training. Yeah. Um, uh, are there one or two things you see that people constantly do that either jams you guys up um, unnecessarily or puts them... It, or that put themselves at risk. In, 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 at risk. Yeah, I, I mean, it happens almost every time we have a major flood event where we have a lot of flash flooding. And, you know, most people know they shouldn't drive through the high, high water, and we try to tell people not to do that, but some people just don't heed the warnings. And then we have our swift water rescue teams out there trying to, trying to rescue people. Um, but um, I, I think basically is just trying to remind people to use good common sense, and if it doesn't look safe, you know, just don't do it. Um, the other thing in emergency preparedness month that I think we need to throw a plug out is to make sure people are somewhat self-sufficient at home. Do you have do you have canned foods at home? Do you have bottled water at home? Just stuff that. You'll be self-sufficient for a few days if, if God forbid, Hartford County got devastated by some type of disaster. 
Um, it's, let's face it, we've learned from Katrina, we've learned from some of the other natural disasters that help will eventually arrive, but it might not arrive as quick as you want, and you just need to be prepared. And your family should have some kind of way of knowing if you have to evacuate and you're not together, where will you guys meet? You know, is there, is there a place that your family has talked about that you can agree to meet? Or um, Cell phones work great when there's not a disaster. They don't work great during a disaster because everybody tries to use them at the same time. So just talk and have a plan. And water meds, flashlights, non-perishable snacks, first aid kit, batteries, radio, and your pet meds. Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, that's just a partial list. Yeah. But that's a good start for most citizens to, to put themselves together a kit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I see here on the, one of the things on response and recovery, know where you live. Um, it, it, that sounds rudimentary, but I can imagine a lot of cases where, or know where you are. Well, I, it, I, I don't always know where I am. Right. So. The, and that, that actually, it's interesting you put it that way because that statement was in my talking points with you for several reasons. Is because, first off, we alluded to it earlier, know where you live. So if you know where you physically live before anyone else knows your address, then you know the landscape of your property. You know if you're going to be flooded. You know if you're going to be, if you've got, if you've got these 15, 60-foot oak trees, maple trees all around your house, and those trees are dozens of years old, do they present a threat to your house in a thunderstorm? You know, does your, does your lane become flooded because you may live back off a tributary of Deer Creek? And will your bridge support fire department equipment responding into your home for that call? So you have to know where you live. Secondly, you need to know where you live to tell us where you live. We're very blessed with, a, with one dedicated team of people at DES that works on nothing but addresses. We are constantly staying on top of addresses, locations of these homes, trying to make sure that people's homes are numbered correctly, the numbers are displayed properly. Uh, we participate in county and community meetings to bring this message to builders and contractors and so forth so that people know where they live. And new people moving into the community sometimes aren't totally aware of where they live when they call 911. And then I will change the last word to, from live to are, know where you are. If you're, when you're driving somewhere and you're going somewhere, do you physically know where you are? Um, one of the worst cases that we have right now is people driving on the Bellard Bypass. They simply call in an accident but have no idea where they're at. Despite the mom markers, despite the signage, and despite the number of interchanges, we often, the response to a motor vehicle crash on the bypass is multi-layered because the person is often confused as to where they are. Hmm. And so that question has a three-pronged answer to it. But, again, it comes with planning. And no one wants to drive down the bypass and think about, well, if I crash tomorrow, I'm at mile marker or whatever. Because they don't want it. They don't want to jinx themselves. But we drive down the same street going, now nah, that mile marker needs to be closer. That needs to be straightened up so people see it. That's what Rick and I look at. Rick and I look at signs and that needs to be fixed. Or we need to go back and talk to the county about that culvert. That's how we look at things. But we don't, we don't expect the public to do that. But, honestly, that's what they should be doing. Can't we just close the Bel Air Bypass, by the way? <laughs> it has actually taken a burden of traffic off of Bel Air Road mm -hmm. uh, and through the town of Bel Air. <clears throat> but the bypass is, is, an interesting, is an interesting roadway. Uh, when you come down across the Winters Run Bridge on wet roads, if you don't reduce your speed, you're going to hydroplane. And more often than not, you will hydroplane into the lane of oncoming traffic. As you approach the other intersections, people are racing to beat the lights. They're not merging properly. Um, it's just... It's just things that people need to, again, knowing your environment. 
um, the news reports these car crashes, and it's terrible when somebody loses their life. But if you read deeper into the article, you will read the cause of the accident, and it will tell you, okay, when I drive this road, that's what I need to avoid. Um, earlier we talked about it, and I hate, it's not, it's never meant to be an insult to, to people I talk to or, or your audience. People, are, people become complacent. Um, they, 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 the world has sped up. It's so fast. Nobody wants to think that they're ever going to be involved in a, in a bad situation, so they don't think about the bad situation. Understandably so. Rick and I are paid to think about that on a daily basis, as are our staff. But I'd rather see people be less complacent and, and really is, um, and pay attention. When Rick calls, if he tells you a storm's coming, you know, okay, go buy that case of water on Monday. We know five and seven days out if a hurricane's going to impact us. Matter of fact, we know pre- pretty much two weeks out. While you're enjoying the sun of today, if the, you we're following a storm that may have just started off the coast of Africa, and you have no knowledge of it, but the weather service has already told us, already computer projected it. So 10 days or two weeks out, we may know what's coming our way. So if Rick's telling you that the storm is coming, now's the time to buy your bottled water and not wait to the day before and then put yourself in the middle of the storm. I wanted to say one thing too, Ed. I don't know whether you guys, uh, it was it happened here in Aberdeen a few weeks ago where I walked uh, door to door with some of the residents in the town of Aberdeen from a major flooding event. And um, a lot of these people were having a problem with um, uh, trying to see if they if their insurance was going to cover their their flood damage that they had in their houses and unfortunately because they didn't buy the special flood insurance um, uh, a lot of these people had had no help to repair the damages so even if you're in an area that maybe is not prone to flooding but you might get flooding during a a, a major event you really need to talk to your homeowner's insurance agent and try to see if you um, you should get flood insurance because a lot of these people would have would have had help uh, during that flooding event a few weeks ago and um, so I just wanted to throw that out there that people sh- should consider flood insurance and um, you know because if you wait till the hurricane comes it's going to be too late because the insurance companies are smarter than that it has to be in place for 30 days before it would become effective. So you can't wait until you see the storm come and then say, okay, I'm going to go and buy flood insurance. So uh, That's a great point, and one that you would, we wouldn't think of. Um, uh, cause, and you're right with the insurance companies. I remember I made the call to my buddy's life insurance company, the police officer. And it was Guardian Life, and it was one of the, I was one of the first calls because I just wanted to get everything in order quick. And... Um, uh, the woman I talked to, I said, this uh, this must be amazing for you folks. Um, and she said, yeah, but, you know, as of for a few hours yesterday, it was the suit's decision that we were going to exclude coverage for this because it was an act of war. I said, that must have gotten rethinked pretty, rethought pretty quickly. She, yes, thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine if the insurance companies yeah. excluded 911 uh, life insurance because it was an act of war. Right. But the insurance, that's a great other thing. What what else, as far as um, should, in, in parting, uh, what else should people know? Uh, uh, where they The emergency services uh, web, website that right. part of uh, 
it's just it's a they can go through Maryland harford.gov or it's, what's it's actually it we can go through harfordcountymaryland.gov and click on our emergency services link uh that will provide you take you to our page and provide you all everything that we do at des from hazmat to tech rescue to this type of storm prep planning you can also go on the state's website as well and fema has a website too um and all three websites a lot of the information is similar um but our 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 information is more locally, more localized to the community, probably more relevant for our, for your listeners and our readers of the, of the site. So we encourage them definitely to go, and certainly um, if they have any questions. Um, uh, Rick, you were talking one, about... One of the other things I wanted to make sure we mentioned is we're four or five times a year now yep, we run a, what we're calling locally as a prepare because you care class. And it's open to our citizens. Um, you'll become CPR certified when you're when you're done. And um, we move those around the county to try to make it easier for our citizens to, to, to attend. Um, you can also still call that number if you're not sure, but it's 410-638-4900. People can kind of give you the dates of some of our upcoming training, or um, most of the time it would be posted on our website as well. But that, that program is actually becoming very very popular among some of our county citizens and it's another way where we try to give basic training to our citizens to make them more more prepared for anything that might happen um, in the county. Bob, our theory is that a better prepared community is a more resilient community. If you're prepared, you will recover faster. If you're not prepared, you won't recover as fast. Matter of fact, it'll be a very, very painful process for you. Excellent. And then I had a, had a trivia question for you, too. That, so uh, we talked earlier. Jennifer asked you about, or you actually you asked about manhole covers, why they're round. Do you know whether they float or not? Um, I, my quick answer would be no. Because, you know, they, obviously they're spot welded down and heavy. Manhole covers will float. And, and what happens, to Rick's point, um, if you have a storm, People love to go out and like to tra trace through, traipse through the water and have fun and splash and everything. If you're in a community with manhole covers, that stormwater's got to go somewhere because underground floats the manhole cover up and floats it downstream. We've had victims walk through the water before, fall into the exposed manhole cover, and the rushing waters will take them into the system. It's non-recoverable. Um, we've lost Ooh, people. Wow. So people who think that there's an aesthetic and fun and frolicky thing to play in stormwaters, um, and you're in a manhole community, there's a very real possibility that manhole cover is gone, and wow. you would fall into that hole, and it becomes non-recoverable at that point. Wow. So just something, uh, not to end on a bad note, but um, no. we, start, we thought we started with some trivia. I thought I'd throw some trivia back out at you. www.harfordcountymd.gov, and emergency services, or 410-638-4900. And I'm going to give some final advice. If... It's one in the morning, and McDonald's won't take the onions off your Big Mac. Don't call nine one one. It's there's so many ways that's wrong. It's not even funny. <laughs> but I'm sure you guys have some stories, and we I know do. there's some nationally known stories. <laughs> um, okay, we're gonna skip the break, and we have um, a, a, a few things to go over uh, because the library, as usual, is up to their their tricks and their amazing uh, <laughs> schedule. What do we got going on at the library? Okay, um, so we have a couple of things. And <clears throat> before I get into them, I just wanted to say, if you haven't thought about taking the Prepare Because You Care class, please do it. it. I took the class, it was invaluable, and it made me realize all the things that I've never thought about 
all the things that never occurred to me to be prepared for. So thank you. great class. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're Shannon. welcome. Um, I also just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners and our community out there. Um, as you know, Team Hartford County Public Library participated in Kiss a Pig to fundraise for the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we had our um, culminating event. We kissed our pig at the Barbecue Bash on August 11th and had a ball. Um, Team HCPL came in third. We raised approximately $4,800 in our first year and we're excited to come back and, and do at least as well next year. So thank you to everybody that participated in the events that supported our cause. We, we couldn't have done it without you, so thank you. On that note, uh, Jesse Bain gave me the best advice I ever got. What's that? Before I kissed the pig. He said, always keep your eyes on the pig. Because <laughs> one year he was kissing it, and the farmer turned the pig around when Jesse was, <laughs> when he was coming in for the, the money. <laughs> That's funny. I was just grateful I got to kiss her before her diaper fell off. So. Um, so if you're looking for something fun to do, uh, we have uh, coming up tomorrow, Saturday, August 26th, uh, the Franklin Institute Traveling Science Show um, for grades K to 8 at Havity Grace Library. Um, we're going to be doing uh, STEM-based performances at the library, so if science is your thing or technology, um, please stop by. Um, we also have uh, Monday, August 28th, through Friday to September 1st, we have the Micros Magic Show at a number of our branches. Um, so Magician Micros is going to present impossible magic tricks. He's going to do some really weird mind-reading stunts. Um, and then he has off-the-wall comedy. So, Bob, I expect you to be at least one of those shows. Comedy is your thing. I will be there. Great. Um, we have our uh, story walk um, going through the end of this month. So it ends on August 31st at the Whiteford Branch. Um, and the topic is the eclipse, so if you miss the eclipse or you're just intrigued by it and want to continue that conversation, stop in in, in Whiteford and um, uh, participate in the activities to learn a little bit more about the eclipse. Um, and then we also have, uh, through September 15th, um, stuff the bus at your local library branch. So. As you know, uh, or may not know, over 10,000 students in Harford County Schools are economically disadvantaged. Um, so we want you to help children find their educational success by joining uh, the campaign that we've joined, uh, Stuff the Bus, to start, stock Harford County Education Foundation's Tools for School Resource Center. Uh, and that's the organization that was formerly known as uh, GEEF, the Greater Excellence in Education. Uh, you can donate backpacks, pencils, markers, folders, binders, uh, a whole slew of things. So please check out our website. We have uh, a web slide up on our main homepage for all of these events. Um, if you're not involved already, please just take a minute. Um, there's tons of back-to-school sales going on. Uh, you can go to any store and get uh, a pile of uh, school supplies for, for not a lot of money, and it would really help some students out. So thank you. And thank you, uh, Harford County Public Library. Uh, and also hats off to the library and to the folks in Habit of Grace for the Opera House. Because uh, we were at a show last night. We had a nice dinner there. We visited the library, partially because we were with your boss. Right. <laughs> she said it was fantastic. That the, the and then the Opera House, event. they did a beautiful job. It was a great evening. And hats off to all the folks that worked hard to get that done. And as we leave, any, uh, any good Eclipse stories? Or was it a pretty much, was it... What kind of traffic did you guys get from that? 
Nothing? It was really very low key. I think I think there was an expectation we would have saw more than what we saw here. Um, no anomalies, nothing unusual. Uh, so you know, everything. No distract. I thought at least there would have been a dis distracted driving. Not not that we're aware of now. And we actually had sort of kind of ramped up for that, thinking there might be that kind of thing, but nothing happened, which is a good thing. Which is a good prepared. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, that's all the time that we have for the Hartford Edge this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having us, guys. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you.